What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I'm really excited. We're going to sit down and talk with Rodrigo Elvira Isla about a really unique voyage into the world of collegiate strength and conditioning and uh, kind of how that unique voyage has opened some doors and brought him some different modes, if you may, of uh, continuing coaching, growing, uh, spreading and growing a brand and bringing in secondary sources of income, which is something that if you've ever heard me get on one of the graybeard freaking soapbox rants, it's something I think we all need to be better at. I don't care how long you've been in the field. I don't care how far along you are in the field. Like we, as a vocation, suck with money and uh we need to find better ways to take care of ourselves so rodrigo hey man i'm stoked to have you here bro thanks for joining us today thank you jay appreciate it yeah man so listen let's start out just letting the people know you know who is rodrigo and how'd you get over here oh uh, yeah so um well my name is rodrigo like you said at the beginning rolling the r um but I pretty much came here, came to the United States in 2014. Um, it all came back from, uh, I tried uh, summer camp in the U.S. with the Sixers, and I got offered to play high school uh, basketball. Uh, personal reasons kind of uh, didn't allow me to do that, and then I got the offer to to do collegiate basketball division two. Uh, that didn't go especially how I thought. There's a big disconnection of what college basketball is um, compared to Spain. And yeah, I thought I was going to come. I said Division Two. Oh, that's the second. That's the second Division of basketball. That that can't be that hard. Uh, so yeah, I got here with my six four and 160 pounds, and I realized that I was getting bullied every time I step on the court. Um, so yeah, that's that's where my journey started. That's when I started realizing what's uh, being done different here. And then from there, played two years, um, transfer for my second two years to a different Division three school up in Wisconsin. Um, finished my bachelor's degree of exercise science, traveled to Dubai to work with some soccer players um, for about four months, worked with uh, rehab, regular population as well. And then I came back to the U.S. in 2019 to do my graduate assistantship at Lincoln University. Um, under Shane Lantain, and then got another year after I graduated from that master's degree to kind of play around, had a year to do whatever I wanted, stay at XC Sport Performance with uh, uh, Shane Davenport and Sean Smith at that facility they have up in Worcester. And then I, my current position right now is at uh, Grand Canyon University, was another graduate assistantship. Uh, because that's the only way I have to uh, stay in the U.S. and um, I already needed to. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. And I think that something that needs to be talked about, first of all, is the need to keep the job to stay in the country is really unique. You know, I've had the privilege of being able to have a few internationals come over and the visa game is tricky, bro. Like the uh -huh. type the reasons what you're doing um, the, the way that you're trying to, to stay in the country. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I think this is something that, you know, there's a lot of people like older heads like me 
um, who listen to this and are looking for the ability to bring in some unique points of view. So let, let's talk about that process a little bit. What were some of the challenges? What are some of the challenges you face now? And what are some of the things that need to be kept in mind for some of the foreign coaches that want to try to make the path like you have to America? Yeah, so um, it, I, I believe there's there's many, many different ways to do this. Um, but the way I started this is with a graduate assistantship. So one of the options that a lot of students have or a lot of young professionals have is to to study a master's degree in America while they are able to work a part-time job like it's a graduate assistantship, 20 hours a week. And uh, that's under a student visa, right? That's the, that's the best way to do it. After you do your master's degree, you usually have, uh, you get granted a year of work, um, which is called an OPT. And that's another way you can extend one more year your stay and work as a full-time. Uh, and then after that, you got to figure out ways, right? There's, there's people that figure out uh, different ways. There's other ways that CPT. So while you study your master's degree, you can still work. Uh, in a different type of visa, you can still work full time. But yeah, that's, that was my, my main way was uh, two graduate assistantships. Um, my first graduate assistantship was a really good experience. Um, I got introduced to, to a lot of teams. Uh, football was my first time. And then I had basketball, men's and women's, I had golf, I had track and field, I had football. I said football, sorry, I said uh, softball. And some other teams because the director left. So it was a really fast learning curve. Um, and then, yeah, uh, after that was you You need to find a way. Uh, student visas are the best way for me, were the best way for me. I know there's other ways of doing it, but I believe for a young professional, that's hard to, to get to other ways of, of staying in the country. Of course, if you get lucky, especially with a university that's able to sponsor you with an H-1B, which is a working visa, which uh, I actually got offered here at, at Grand Canyon University. Um, that is probably the best way, but you need to get your foot in the door first in order to get to know people. Just It's, it's a process that can seem slightly complicated for administration, and um, it's not super expensive, but it's, it's definitely something that they need to deal with lawyers and find all that stuff. So yeah, it, it becomes a little complicated, but I think I think looking at the whole picture will um, overwhelm a lot of, of a lot of people. I think you got to start from the beginning. If this is something you want to do, uh, you can come in with an internship. Uh, you can come in with a graduate assistantship, and I think that's the first step. Once you take that first step, um, then you can just think of the next because you never know, right? There's a lot of people that come here for a year. They don't like it. They don't. They're not able to handle that low pay that uh lifestyle that there is in america everything changes so much i got lucky that i came here when i was uh, 18 for the first time and I, i've been able to get used to it and now i love it i mean that's i've been here nine years now so but uh it's a learning curve and it's definitely you gotta start from the beginning i think that's it that's the best way to do it um so yeah that's that's the that's where you gotta start that's what you want to do yeah man i love it and i think that really just with everything is, is understanding that there's going to be a process to it and you have to make sure that you get all the steps done properly and you don't take boxes and okay. also understand that there may be some times where there are setbacks or things that seem like setbacks, but all they are, are, you know, 
lack of a better term, just kind of like bureaucratical BS that you got to kind of work the red tape through. And then eventually, for the most part, things work out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. So then let's talk a little bit here about that transition. And, and you know, you mentioned earlier, like as a player, it was eye-opening coming over and the physicality of the game and things of that when you were looking at, you know, college basketball and, and those things. But let's talk about it in a practitioner's point of view now. Um, the European model versus what some would consider more of the generic American model, right? I think that a lot of people listening to this would be like, well, there's no American model because everybody does things different. But there's a good part of me that thinks a lot of the Europeans would argue otherwise. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's been a big, big transition since I, since I left Spain. Uh, so since I played high school basketball, I think there's been a big, big transition. I want to believe I have something to do with that just because of the content I put out. But um, yeah, when, when, when I was doing high school basketball in, in Spain, there was nothing that related with strength conditioning, right? We don't have a sport like football uh, that pushes the, the need of strength, the need of muscle mass and need of whatever we want to talk about there's nothing such as that there is a high uh skill work that is done in spain basketball is a really high level in spain really really high uh but there is that little kick that we we're lacking which is the physicality right so the most of the strength conditioning you do in spain is what i think everybody most of the people would agree now that sports specific training that gets done sometimes with a dumbbell and a basketball at the same time or anything similar with light weights and just going through a, a movement that doesn't really cause any type of adaptation. That is something that was done a lot when I was back in Spain. And of course you think that you're getting better until you, until you find something different, right? That's one of the things that I always say, like everybody has their own thresholds. Uh, if you don't, if you don't step into a different threshold you're never gonna know what can you accomplish so that's one of the things that happened when i got here uh what i realized is that everybody was bigger everybody was faster everybody was stronger everybody jumped higher than me and back home i was not i was not a player that you could say oh he's not uh he's not athletic i was decently athletic i was really skinny but that is kind of what everybody expects with a 17 year old in spain uh, but then I came here and realized that that's not, that doesn't have to be it. There's, there's kids here that are six, five, that are 200 pounds, 215 pounds that are way faster than jump way higher than me. And that was, that was eye opening, Right. So I think uh, what that showed me pretty much is that the work you do until you were 17, 18 years old, I think it compounds much faster than any kind of work you've done after. And since then I, I've, I got into strength conditioning and I met Jake Tura, which has been a, a big influence in everything I do. And um, I got so much better. We were thinking about it in the office the other day. Like right now, if I play with uh, a freshman, me, I will destroy him. It will be so easy for me to just bully him on the court. So now I want to go back and think if I would have known what I know now or what you guys do in America when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, I think the potential was much higher. And I think the same way of Spanish players. You're starting to see that now, right? There's a lot of strength conditioning coaches that are starting to work with young generations in Spain. And you start seeing in the national team, for example, or in the higher level teams, basketball players that are 
dominating and physically they're amazing to look at they're amazing to to see like the videos that i used to see when i was 16 years old and i used to be looking at Ballers live or any other uh of those networks and you saw those basketball players that had the same age i did where they look like grown-ass men dunking on people and you never thought that that would be possible and that's kind of one one of the things i realized it is possible you just have to be doing the right kind of work so for what you said before, I think Americans have been doing a lot of great things for a lot of, for a long time, and I think we need to pick up on that. I think uh, Europe has a lot of good things too, and I think we're picking up on that right now, and we've been picking up on it for a while. But I think especially we're really good at uh, physiotherapy, especially in Spain. I think we're really advanced in that sense. Um, but I think we need to pick up on, on that, a little bit more. You could call it hardcore work of weight training, speed, plyometrics, all that stuff that seems a little bit scary, but then you realize how many uh, good things it brings. So just devil's advocate here, you know, thinking about that entire situation you, you're, you're discussing and kind of the global mm-hmm. effect of it. Do you feel that it may be more beneficial for the European players to come over here later because there is such a high emphasis on skill and player development and then the physical preparation to be built on top of it? Or do you feel that adding the physical preparation earlier, which would take away from some of the skill development, would be of greater benefit to these athletes? That's a great question. Um, I think it could go both ways, right? Um... Uh, there is a lot of uh, Division One schools right now, like we see Arizona, UCLA, trying to recruit Spanish players, especially because that's one of the things that I keep in, I keep in my sight. Um, and they're really good. And they're also like right now, you see that those players are much more physically developed than they were before. So I think that's why Division One universities are are noticing these players. So I think I think there's got to be a balance. I think both can be done. And I think the skill acquisition work that is in the U.S. is big as well. There is a lot of competition. There is a lot of play. So I think they're, they're both at a high level. Um, I, I will never risk to say that Spain is better than the U.S. or the U.S. is better than, than Spain in terms of basketball coaching. I think they're both, they have both great qualities in that sense. But I think the U.S. still dominates when it comes to physical preparation, right? So I think if, if Spain can acquire that earlier on, and we're not afraid of putting these uh, kids on, on training programs. It, it doesn't have to be a football training program. We all know that there is a, a million ways of doing the same things, um, especially starting them earlier. Uh, I think that will, that will add up a lot of value. And uh, we're not going to be better than American players, but I think we're going to be up there. And universities are going to fight to get those uh younger basketball players right now there's basketball players that had contracts with professional teams in europe that are having to cancel those contracts that are almost millionaire contracts to be able to come to to university and those players want to experience university in the u.s uh that division one experience because i think there is a system here that works and um there's a system here that also provides players with the ability to study to get a degree if possible for those four years and also play a really high level of basketball Yeah, I think that's a great interpretation of it. You know, I look at it and I would always, 
lean to the side of spending more time on skill development and getting better at your craft just because I've seen so many guys who are so great in the weight room but are kind of C minus when it comes to basketball. Mm-hmm. But I I can see when you're when you're watching the American team play and you know the history of the American team, I can see how there would be a um kind of infatuation is the wrong word, but I think you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. in in the the physical prowess that these guys yes. have. Uh-huh. And sort of wanting to chase that, whether it's attainable or not. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's it, right? Like the, there is a time and place for everything, like you said. And I think maybe maybe that's one of the mistakes that happens in America. A lot of players that don't find or that don't see results early on on that skill work. Uh, on the basketball court, they kind of lean into the weight room. That happened to me a lot, right? With basketball players that are not the best in the team, they end up spending more time in the weight room because it's a control space, it's a secure space for them, and they feel better there because they don't really compete with anybody else but themselves. Um, and I think that happens a lot. I'm sure it happens in high school basketball. I haven't worked with high school athletes here in the U.S., but I'm sure it happens too. You're giving them an option to perform in a different setting where they don't they don't feel like they're less than anybody else. And I think that that can happen. Um, but like you said, I think the more strength coaches we have that understand how this works, I think that the, the dose that we need to give those early at that those younger athletes of, of strength training, speed work and stuff is, is really small to get, to get really good results. We don't really need to be pounding them with a lot of hours in the weight room. I think very few hours, three hours a week, four hours a week even I think could like for a lot of people would be a lot too much but I think even three hours you can get away with that and get really 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 good results in in younger players and I think that that shouldn't take a lot of time away from from that skill work yeah yeah I I agree with that I think that obviously keeping the main thing the main thing Mm -hmm. um is what's obviously important but you know you've talked about building the strength and and contributing when it comes to the thought processes of coaches back home. And I think one thing that you've done a good job with is not just building a following, but providing great content, albeit it's in Spanish. So I'm having a hard time figuring out a lot of it. Um, And, and building clientele through your, your, your online resources. And I think that's something that a lot of coaches can do a better job of. You know, we like to complain about we can't do this, we can't do that, we don't make this, we Mm -hmm. don't make that, but we don't look out and say, okay, but what can I do? Yeah. Let's let's talk about the process of you building out, you know, this business that you have and the work that you do and kind of what A started it going and B, what keeps it moving. Yeah. So I mean, everything started. Uh, when I started realizing, like I said, that that you guys were doing something here that was much different uh, in terms of the athletes you were you were creating here, um, I wanted to talk about it because I was I started following this podcast. I started talking to Jake more. Started following uh, the work that Joel Smith does, uh, Max Marzo. I think all those guys putting great content out there, and then looking at coaches that I was able to meet. Uh, uh, like my first year in Missouri, uh, I met 
at Nicodemus is Christopher at Mizzou. And I was going there and seeing the kind of work they do. And I wanted just to talk about it. I just wanted to put it out on social media. So I started doing it. There was no no secondary purpose to that. I mean, I was I was I was 22 and I I was just chasing knowledge. And I think Spain was lacking a lot of knowledge in that sense. And I was like, this is great. I, I just want people to to learn what this is about. Um, and then I started realizing that you can do something else with that. And that's kind of when it started growing, using marketing and different things. But that's one of the things I've, I've liked to talk about to a lot of strength coaches here, right? A lot of interns, a lot of my coworkers uh, all the time. I mean, we, we have a problem in the strength conditioning industry, I think, and that's salary in the United States compared to what living costs in this country. There's a lot of departments that are not paying their employees enough. Um, there could be several reasons behind that. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get into the whole uh, judging that situation, but uh, things can, uh, you can manipulate your situations however you can, right? Uh, since I've been a graduate assistant for the past five years, I haven't get paid more than $1,000 a month. And I think I've, I've been living pretty good. So especially in uh, English speaking language, I think all strength coaches have the ability to reach out to a lot of people. You don't have to become a known person in social media. I think you can just start reaching out to people little by little. You can, you can reach out to friends that are in the corporate world. You can reach out to all the athletes that are uh, training professionally. You can reach out to parents that have kids that are training right now. There is so many, that is the, the, the great thing about America, right? You can reach out to anybody and if you really put enough hours at the beginning, you can easily start bringing in thousands of dollars a month by just training a few hours, uh, people in person or online or selling some kind of program. So I don't think there, there is not really a path. The path that I did was pretty much started putting content in social media. It kind of um, worked for a lot of people because it was something new in Spain. Um, but it doesn't, you don't have to build a big following. I understand a lot of times there's coaches that are at a point in their life they don't really want to start putting a lot of content out or become famous or any kind of things like that. But they, they really want a, a extra income. And I think that they're in the best country in the world to do that. And they're in the profession that allows to do that as well because we do have a lot of hours of work, but we also have a lot of dead hours in between. We have one, two hours here and there where we can work on creating programs on reaching out to people and having a few calls and sending a couple emails. And it only takes one person a week to start training with you for X amount of money to start building that up. Right. And uh, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of great coaches that are here in the States that can talk about that even better than me, but I think everybody can do it uh, to a certain level. You don't have to make it your main job but you can always do a little bit and he's always going to help you. Yeah. But I think that the, what a lot of coaches here kind of run into with that is kind of um, uh, two parts. When you, when you post things that you do or whatever you're saying online, you're opening yourself to criticism and that can be frightening. Mm -hmm. yeah. but secondly, when you end out, um, deciding you're going to do something to better yourself there there's there's a learning curve to it right mm -hmm. and there's there, there's i think a misunderstanding 
and and me too like I, we talked before about how this is something i've thought about doing for a long time and probably need to do you know when it comes to like training someone online like we probably think there's a little bit more work to it and people don't just dive in and do it and start with one or two people and see if they mm -hmm. can do that and scale um yeah and i think that that's probably one of the things that hamstrings us mm -hmm. now i mean obviously if if it was possible to not do this that would be better yeah right? if you could sit here and say we all make enough money that we don't need to have a secondary source of income mm -hmm. great but there's also what the cheesy cliche borderline bullshit um statistic quote instagram gif meme that's always like <laughs> all millionaires have typically four to six streams of income yeah exactly so so like if the people that are actually really rich have four to six streams of income mm -hmm. we have the ability to take what we're already doing manipulate it to scale and sell it mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's the thing i mean the first thing you said about being afraid of putting content out that's the first thing I, and i I'm in a process right now where I am in the same situation. I've been putting content out in Spanish for so long and it was, I was extremely afraid at the beginning and little by little, by just being conscious about the information you're putting out about not giving any final messages where this is how I do things. This is what I've learned. This is what I do. This is what I think it works. There's no absolutes in anything I say. People have been, uh, going into that those videos and really liking them there's always going to be criticism but at some point you you start not caring but right now i'm in the process of starting the same thing in english because i i've had so many athletes so many coaches that when i train with them they would love to see the information that i put out and i'm in the same i'm recording videos every day right now when i record in spanish i record in english too and i have a whole library of things ready to be posted in english but i'm i'm I shit my pants when I have to think about people that is much more knowledgeable than me seeing my videos and maybe criticizing it. But then when I talk to those people, what I realize is as far as what you're putting out has common sense, as far as you're trying to do well and you're trying not to take advantage of people, those coaches are always going to build you up. That is the one thing I realized with strength conditioning coaches in America. We are really critical of people that talk in absolutes. We're really critical of people that try to take advantage of things or they don't really understand what they talk about, but they still talk about it. But we always build up those other coaches that are trying to do something to better the knowledge of other coaches or of athletes, right? So there should be no, nobody should be afraid of that because at some point, always somebody's going to criticize what you do, but most of the time, the people that values or the people that has some type of um, knowledge or, or some type of weight in this industry is never going to criticize you. It's always going to build you up, or at least they're not going to care. They're not even going to stop to look at what you post. So it shouldn't really matter. Um, and then when it comes to that, the, the amount of work that goes into it at the beginning, um, I think I think there's many ways to do it. I think there could be 
that could take a lot of work at the beginning, just effort in terms of setting up what you want to do. I think one of the advice that I give to a lot of oh, my coworkers or friends or interns that try to ask me about it is have a good platform set up. Like if you can have an app from the beginning, just have an app that you can use. There's a lot of apps out there that you uh, offer this. And yes, it's an investment, but if you, you think about what one person you're going to bring in with one person and how much that costs, like at the end of the day, that's not, it's going to be nothing. And that is just a little investment. And, and that might be the toughest part. But then you set that up, you set up a couple of PDFs with information. You start recording your workouts so you can upload them on YouTube or anything like that. And then those, those are little steps that you take every day. You don't have to just sit down and complete everything, but you take small steps every day and reaching out to one, two people. Like you said, you have one person, you start realizing how it works. And then let's say you've been training this person for three months. You already have information or training stuff you're giving to this person for three months. The next person that comes in is probably not going to change that much. They're probably going to need something very similar that you're going to have to change here and there. But the main thing you're going to have to do is to stay in contact with that person to help them all through the process. And it's not going to take a lot of time. Every person you take in is going to take less time than the first one. So it's going to become really easy once you have a lot of people working with you, right? But like you said, it's the, it's the beginning that takes a little bit more time. Um, but like I said, you don't have to be putting content on social media. You guys are in the country that has the best salaries, the best living, the best lifestyle in terms of uh, amount of money you earn or people earn compared to other countries. People is willing to spend money here for their health, for working out, for anything. So uh, maybe to an unhealthy uh, type of way of doing things, but uh, it's just still it's just still the country that is. So I think you can still do it and you can still start getting people training with you for an amount of money that becomes worth it for you. Yeah. Um, I love that because I think that I need to hear that. So selfishly, I appreciate that. And I hope everybody else did too, <laughs> but um, kind of piggybacking off that a little bit, right? Like um, you said, you're using an app and you're doing all those things. Are you doing more than just the online training? Yeah, so um, you can offer already done programs as well. And that's, I think that might come with um, having a bigger social media platform, but also you, you also don't need that either. Maybe you can have a small social media platform and in order to build that up, so programs that are sold one time, I, I believe a lot of coaches will have that. Jake Tura, for example, has this as well, that he has three different programs. Or they have, um, I think Joel Smith has Elastic Essentials, for example. That is programs that you create one time and they're easy to scale, right? You, you just put it out there on a platform or on a website or an app and you just have to market it somehow. That is going to be the main part. The main part is going to be marketing. So you're going to have to, once you have that created and it's a good product, um, it's not going to prove anything until there, it reaches a lot of people. So there's many ways to reach a lot of people. You can put content on social media and hope that organically grows, which most likely won't, no matter how good the content is. If you don't put uh, some kind of money into marketing, it's probably not going to, it's not going to grow at this point. But you can do that too. You can take a small investment I'm sure there's a lot of coaches out there that put um, put money into the S&P or put money into their high yieldings account. Instead of doing that, you, you put a little bit of money on Facebook ads. 
you try to learn a little bit how Facebook ads work. And Facebook ads is going to work even if you just click promote this post. It is going to work and it's going to bring you in clients. Um, but that is just a different way of investment, right? It, it is an uncertain investment, but everything is an uncertain investment. The only difference is that when you put it in the S&P, you have all these companies that assure you that there's going to be a benefit, but sometimes there's not, right? So that's, uh, I follow a lot of the stuff that Alex Ramosi talks about, but he said it all the time. He's like, you can invest on the S&P 500 or on the SME 500. Uh, so you invest it on yourself, you invest it in your marketing and your product, and you try to grow that. And at the end of the day, it can go wrong. It for sure can go wrong, but the chances of them going right as well are pretty high if you just put a little bit of effort at the beginning, uh, creating that content and then creating a landing page, creating the whole marketing process. And that, that could be a little bit challenging to learn, but nowadays we have so many resources. We have so many podcasts. We have so many YouTube videos to walk through uh, that whole process and that will make it so much easier for us. Yeah, and then I guess the next question that I can see a lot of people asking and selfishly I'd, I'd like to bounce off you. When you're dealing with the online client, talking about the online training client, how much, you know, these people say you meet once a week or whatever it may be. How much time are you actually spending per client per week? Um, it probably, it depends on the week, probably because it depends on what kind of cycles they might follow. So if they have three week cycles, two week cycles, four week cycles. So one, one part you're going to have to take some timing is what kind of training they're going to do. Um, at the beginning, you're going to spend more time on creating that, but then you have templates. Once you have templates, it's much easier. I mean, we all do it with our teams, right? We're going to have templates that we can modify from year to year from whatever we think is better or worse, and depending on the kind of athlete we have. So that's going to be part of the time. And then part of the time is going to be being in touch with that person. But you got to think about this too. You don't want to be on the phone with that person all the time. But trust me, that person doesn't want to be on the phone with you either. So thinking that those people are going to be reaching out to us all the time. No, they want their training program and that's all they want. And they're going to reach out whenever they have questions. Um, so it's not going to end up taking that much time. And to give you something, uh, if, if there is a person that's training online with me, there is probably going to take me about an hour a week, two hours a week, max. But no, so you're, you're telling me then that, it's an hour basically ahead. So if you have three clients to start, it's about three, six hours tops. If you have 10 clients to start, you have 10, 20 hours tops. Yeah. And I and think that can, that can become a much, much less time. The more people you have, the more efficient you become, the more templates you have, the less time you need. And then you're also, as you become more popular, increasing your price. So let's say you're charging 150 to start. Now you're charging 250 a month. Yeah. For 10 people, we can do that math and mm -hmm. know really quick that you're looking at $30,000 a year at 10 hours a week. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, the math becomes pretty easy, pretty quick. And that, and that's the thing again, like I, I've, I've just seen people, you guys speak English. <laughs> you guys have America, Australia, the UK, you have the whole world that either speak English or want to speak English. So there you have the biggest market that there is ever. And not only the biggest market is the market that has a higher income than any other market. 
that's what makes it much more easier to become to those numbers. Like a lot of a lot of people that has businesses, I'm sure they listen to this and like thirty thousand a year. That that's like my weekly income when you become having a having an online business there's a lot of people that's making insane amounts of money we just don't see it um and i don't think it takes that as much effort as we think it takes especially when you somebody like you that have been training for so many years so many athletes you, you probably have so many resources that will take you almost no amount of time to to be able to make profit out of that Again, like I'm sitting here listening to you talk and I'm just like, come on, old man, time to, uh, time to pull your big boy pants up and, you know, and get to this. Cause I think that this is a talk I needed Rodrigo. I really appreciate your time, man. But before we get you out of here, bro, we got to make sure that people are able to tap in to where you're at on the socials and follow what you're doing and see what you're pointing out, you know, putting out, even, even if people don't necessarily understand the Spanish, I think that there's a lot that people can learn uh, just by how you put out the videos. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, everybody can follow me on Instagram at Spanish Performance. Uh, I have YouTube as well. I have TikTok just because I, I try to put out content as much as possible on different platforms to reach out as many people as I can. Um, it's all in Spanish, but... I make a promise right here that it will be in English. It will, I'll create an English page soon enough. Uh, I'm not sure when. I'm just preparing the content. I just want to be able to put content out in English and that uh, all the athletes I work with and coaches have it as well. So that will be that will be there soon as well. Um, so, yeah, you guys, I always appreciate talking to people. This is my first podcast in English, and I love it. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Rodrigo. Truly appreciate your time, man. This is an absolutely killer 40 minutes, my man. I, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. And we'll make sure that everybody hops over and, and we've got all that in the notes when it comes to, the, you know, the ats, when it comes to spanning your performance. I mean, man, so much good stuff. So many things that people should probably take a, take a restart here and listen to again to start finding ways that we can start taking better care of ourselves because the moment your money's right is the moment you come become a better coach i know that people have heard me say that a billion times and there's millions of ways that we can do this but again i needed this kick in the butt bro i appreciate you for it i appreciate your time this was killer thank you so much thank you jay appreciate you and as always thank you for everything y'all do for us here at central virginia sport performance We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.